Welcome to the Poe Politicking Show, created in 2008. Poe Politicking is a hip-hop meets self-help brand. With each conversation, we teach the babies and share success secrets with you, the listener. Our focus is to preserve the hip-hop culture and introduce the future upcoming stars. Past guests of the Poe Politicking Show include Yo Gotti, Megan The Stallion, The Baby, Currency, MC Light, Jay Prince, Dead Prez, Razzcast, and more. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts to get automatic updates of each episode. Keep politicking with Poe on social media at Poe Politicking. Visit our website, PoePolitikin.com, for more exclusive content. PoePolitikin.com Welcome back to PoePolitikin.com. You're home for Self Help Me Hip Hop. Make sure you go on. This video will be on YouTube, so just make sure you share this, subscribe, like the homies page. One, two, one, two, and place to be. He's an author. Uh, looks like you're a musician, too. His name is Ari Herstad, right? Ari, yes. Ari, see? Yeah. I got it. <laughs> you asked about the last name, but <laughs> there was the first name that you really needed to check in about. <laughs> I Ari Herstad. And I know you have the book. It's called How to Make It in the New Music Business. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was I was looking. I was like, that's interesting because I remember uh, Donald Passman. He had a book about the music business. And I remember everybody was reading that. I uh, read your book. I didn't read it, read it, but I read like table of contents. I was like, that's cool, mm-hmm. man. Cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, Passman's book, uh, that book had kind of been considered the Bible for mm-hmm. many yeah. years. I mean, the, the it came out 30 years ago. And as you know, the, the music industry's changed a little bit in 30 years. And so I felt like we kind of needed an update on, on that book. And so that's, uh, you know, my book is kind of all about the new music business, everything that has uh, been happening and is happening right now in the industry. Okay. And then before we get in the book, I was actually looking at your YouTube page, and I see you've been doing the music for years. Mm-hmm. See, like over ten years, looks like. Yeah, yeah. I started um, as a singer songwriter in Minneapolis. I was living in Minneapolis. Uh, I went there for school, and then um, I kind of just went out of a kind of jumped out of the the kind of a formal education, and then started just kind of figuring out how to do it on my own for a while, and then I um, yeah basically cut my teeth doing music in the Twin Cities and touring around um, for about uh, seven years there and then moved to LA about 10 years ago. And so I've been, you know, I'm still a singer-songwriter. I have a funk project right now as well. Um, And then I kind of took all the knowledge that I learned from doing it on my own and then interviewing other people to kind of start the blog and uh, and then write the book as well. Then uh, it's uh, Brass Root District, right? That's the funk project. Yep. Yeah. Have you always been doing funk? Is that your... Um, I'm a trumpet player, so I uh, I kind of grew up uh, playing in funk projects, and and any anytime anyone needed a, a trumpet player, I would I would kind of do that um, growing up. And then my mom's from Detroit, and so we grew up listening to a lot of Motown. Um, but uh, and then in college, I played in a in a funk project that toured around Germany. But for the most part, I was uh, just a singer songwriter, kind of doing the acoustic uh, acoustic singer songwriter thing, and then. Uh, it was actually when I was in New Orleans, I went to New Orleans to write the book. Um, and I spent a month there writing the book and every morning I'd, I'd run the streetcar tracks, listening to seventies funk soul. That was just the playlist that I had going. And then I would go to a coffee shop, write for 10 hours a day, write the book. And then every night I went out and saw music around New Orleans. Uh, and you know, it's, it's all like horn bands, brass bands, mm-hmm. funk soul bands. Uh, and I really fell into that and kind of fell in love 
with that kind of music. And so when I came back, I shifted my musical focus and I kind of decided that I needed to make that kind of music. And so for the last few years, I've been really focusing on funk. Yeah, I saw you. I went to your website and I saw this is what I'm listening to now. I saw you had some slide and family stone. You had some answer. Yep. I was like, all right. I was like, I That's right. <laughs> what, what you, what, what, why, why funk? What you like about funk so much? Um, I actually I mean, like it too, so I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. right, 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 right. Um, you know, it's, uh, for one, it's kind of a, it's a vibe. And so for so long, I kind of, uh, a lot of the, the way that I've been structuring my shows as a singer-songwriter um, was about this, uh, this kind of connection with everybody in the space and really getting to the, the lyrics and every word can, can hit somebody in a different way. And uh, singer-songwriter music is very much focused on uh, the lyrics and storytelling, whereas kind of funk is much more of a vibe and an energy and, an, and a feeling and an experience. And it's about community and bringing people together. Um, and so I really kind of uh, gravitated towards that. And it's just that, that, that fun, upbeat, uh, kind of brash, sexy energy that it has. I was, uh, I was really into that. Um, and I, I felt like I needed to, you know, the music that was kind of starting to come out of me at that point, uh, was, was more in that realm than, uh, than what I was, uh, doing before that. And so I just kind of followed the, followed the muse. Who's your favorite artist in that field? Uh, I mean, I love Bill Withers. Uh, he's one of my favorites. Um, I love uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Sly and the Family Stone, like you said. So it's like a lot of 70s. Uh, I really gravitate towards 70s funk. So even though I lived in Minneapolis for many years, and that's the, you know, the home place of, of Prince. Yeah. Uh, and so it's kind of, that's like a religion in Minneapolis is Prince. <laughs> and so I got my, my career started uh, in and spent a lot of time in Minneapolis. And everybody kind of has one degree of separation from Prince there. But I, uh, what's that? Oh, my, uh, I played with, uh, his drummer, Michael Bland. Uh, so Michael Bland was Prince's drummer and I actually took trumpet lessons from Prince's, uh, trumpet player. He was his trumpet player for 20 years. And so I took, I took trumpet lessons from this guy for a few years when I lived there, Dave Jensen. Um, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I heard you mention earlier, you said, uh, you interview musicians. Yeah, so I started a music business, the the new music business podcast, um, and I started this podcast uh, a couple months ago. And we have uh, people in the industry who are innovators, and so I like to, you know, writing the book. I interviewed hundreds of people, the movers and shakers of the new music business, everyone from artists to managers, booking agents, sync licensing people, publicists. Um, I mean, you name it. If somebody's doing a label execs, everyone. I interviewed them for the book to try to gain all their knowledge, but all these interviews were private. You know, I would just kind of have them on my, my voice memos and I'd be taking notes and then I would relay their information in the book. Um, but these, these conversations were really interesting and I love doing them. And so I, I decided to make these conversations public. And so I started a podcast, um, and on the, the show, uh, so far, uh, actually last week, I believe we posted the Zaytoven episode. So I interviewed Zaytoven. Um, and then before that I interviewed, uh, Vo Williams, who's a hip hop artist who, who kills it in, in the sync licensing realm. He has over a thousand sync licensing placements. Um, then I interviewed uh, Jen Malone. She's the music supervisor for shows like Euphoria, Atlanta, Empire. Uh, so she's the one who actually places the music and decides what music's going to go in these TV shows. Uh, and so, I, th yeah, the show is um, 
I encourage you, anyone to, to listen to that. It's called The New Music Business. And if you're interested in, in any way that how the business works, but also just hearing from these artists as well, like Zaytoven, he was any hip hop producer out there should definitely check out this episode. I mean, he just dropped gem after gem. Uh, so inspiring. And he really gave a lot of great tips uh, to hip hop producers on kind of the process and, and just the creation process, how to stay inspired, um, how he creates and really how he's how he's creating in quarantine right now. So um, why did you create your book? So, um, you know, when I was when I was in Minneapolis, uh, kind of doing the music thing and, and gigging around touring, um, you know, I uh, as soon as I got out of college, I went to college for uh, for music business. I was just there a year and a half. Um, but they taught me kind of how the old industry worked. And when I they said, like, the only way to make it happen is you got to get a record deal. So I um, as soon as I got out of school. I was like, all right, where's my record deal? I'm ready to make it work. Like, I want a music career. Where's this deal that they said that I have to get before I can have a music career? The deal wasn't being handed to me. So I said, well, I guess I can sit around and wait for this so-called deal or I can make it, make it happen for me and kind of make a music career happen and figure it out. And so that's what I did. I decided to just, I decided to just figure out how to book shows and then get people to come to those shows. And then as I started to... Um, build a following, I then took the show to other cities around the Midwest. And then I started booking national tours. Then I started figuring out how to get songs placed on TV and all of that stuff. And eventually people started asking me, like, how are you getting songs placed on TV shows? How are you charting on iTunes? How are you selling out these clubs? You don't have a manager. You don't have a booking agent. You don't have a record label. Like, how are you doing all this? And I would share everything I learned. Anyone who would ask me a question, I'd write back to them. They'd send me messages. And then word kind of spread if uh, you have a question about the music business, go ask Ari. And I, uh, it got to the point where I just didn't have time to respond to everybody. So I put up a blog. My blog is Ari's Take. And I launched that in 2012. And this blog uh, basically shared all the information that I was learning on how to run a successful music career. Um, and then people would write in more questions. And I'd say, oh, I wrote about it here. Go check this blog article out. And then more publications started to ask me uh, to write for them. And then my blog kind of took off and got passed around the independent music community. And it got to a point where a lot of people then came to me. They said, Ari, I read every article you've written. It's great. It's helpful. However, it's all over the place. I'm looking for guidance. I'm looking for uh, something to connect the dots and mm -hmm. what can step me in the right direction. Because right now, there's so much information out there. It's like, yes, we're empowered. We don't need a record label to make it happen. You know, Chance proved that, that, you know, you can, you can reach the stratospheric superstardom levels of success without a label. And we're seeing success levels on every scale, not just the superstar level, but everywhere. But it's overwhelming because there's so many tools. What do you do? Are you going to use Instagram? Are you use TikTok, Spotify? Like, how are you going to make it work? And, and in, what, in what order? So they asked me, like, what books sh should I read? And now I've read almost every music business book on the market. And some of them are good, like you mentioned Donald Paston's book uh, earlier, but all of them are outdated. None, mm. none of them were talking about what's happening right now in the industry. And as I was interviewing all of these people writing for Ari's Take, my blog, and then writing for other publications, I was learning about all of these incredible stories of other artists that were making it work in really innovative ways and making a music career happen that nobody was talking about. No one in Billboard or Rolling Stone or Complex or anyone was writing about this, how these, how these artists were innovating 
And so I felt that I needed to share these stories and saying, you know, look, this can happen. You can make a music career happen. You don't need a lucky break. You don't need a record deal. You can make it happen and look at these hundreds of artists, thousands of artists that are actually making real successful music careers happen without a label and they're, and they're succeeding and thriving. So that was the reason kind of why I felt I needed to write this book. There just wasn't anything out there like that. And fortunately, people have taken to it. And now the book is being taught uh, in universities kind of all over the world. Um, and it and kind of sits, uh, it's, at, it's, still, it's, still, it's still sitting right next to Passman's at the top of the chart. So that's, that's nice. That's cool, man. And I was seeing, um, I saw some of the titles. So I would say, what is the new industry? Yeah. Right. So the new music business, um, if we look at like in comparison to the old music business, I think we all understand what the old music business is about. That was basically, um, there was kind of one way to make it in the old music business. There was, uh, you get signed, you go on tour, you get songs on the radio. And that was kind of it like 20 years ago. And before it was all about selling records and you were successful if you sold a bunch of records and you're not successful if you didn't sell a bunch of records. And that was pretty much the way it went. Now, in the new music business, uh, it's very different. There isn't just one way to make it happen. Uh, there are a hundred ways to make it in the new music business. And I talk about a lot of those in the book of how people are making it happen. And success in the new music business is defined very differently than success in the old music business. Success these days is not how many records can you sell? Who's buying records anymore? It's not even about record sales anymore. Success is extremely personal. Success cannot be defined for you. You have to decide what success means to you. And, you know, my friend, uh, Jonathan Azu, he's a, he's an artist manager, uh, for artists like, uh, Corey Henry and Emily King, um, and, uh, and Anita Baker. And he said, he said, um, you know, a music career is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And if you want to have a music career, you got to set up some goals. You got to look at what is important to you and what kind of career do you want to have? Because there's no right or wrong answer. That's the thing. It's like you can't say, you know, people say all the time, like, oh, well, you must not be successful because you only have 10,000 Instagram followers. That's uh, friends of mine hear that all the time. And, uh, and then I'll tell them, like, don't worry that somebody said that to you. I have friends with 100,000 Instagram followers and they have day jobs. <laughs> and and it's like, you know, if you use these vanity metrics, when you let people say, oh, this is what it means to be successful, or that's what it means to be successful. And now you're being hit by all sides, all these influences of people telling you what it means to be successful when you've forgotten what it actually means to be successful. And that can only be defined by you. And, you know, personally, how I define success is making a living, supporting the kind of lifestyle that I'd like to have doing what I love that's success to me. I, I want to be happy. Like I don't, I don't need to be a gazillionaire. I don't need to be a superstar. And that's why when I have uh, every guest on my podcast, my show, I ask them, uh, my final question to them is, what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? And everybody has a different answer. And I love that because it's, uh, it's, it really shows that these successful people that I've had on the show, they each define success in very different ways. Mm -hmm. I was gonna say this might not be in the book right now, but I saw you, you was talking about playing live in tours, mm -hmm. but I'm going to say, you know, since the virus came out, I think right. everything's going to be adjusted now. So yep. what adjustments do you think artists need to make now? 
Right. So we're seeing a lot of live streaming concerts happening. And uh, right when the uh, the lockdown started, I actually started a live streaming music festival called Uncanceled Music Festival. And what so we got to- I saw that. That was me. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, right. And so, you know, we, we got together uh, hundreds of artists from all over the world, uh, music venues, um, you know, we're booking the artists. And in, in a week, we kind of uh, grossed over $100,000 for independent artists and music venues. And we kind of proved the model that you can actually make a good money performing live streaming from your bedroom basically and just kind of performing from home just like this um you know we are experimenting with different live streaming platforms there's stage it is what we used initially um there's uh other kind of obs technology that you can you can integrate with you know we see facebook and instagram live of course people are doing that with like venmo tip jars and paypal links and stuff like that but there are new platforms that are popping up every day that make it really easy for artists to live stream their concerts and so you know there's there's not just for the artists that are uh, made their livings on touring and performing live uh they're being hit the hardest right now and that was the reason that we started this music festival but there are a lot of other artists uh, like my friend vo williams who we talked about earlier the hip-hop artist um who has uh who killed the sync licensing game um, and he has his songs all over film, TV, and uh, and video games. He said he's actually the busiest right now he's ever been. Mm-hmm. He got eight sync placements last week in a film trailer, a video game, uh, a few TV shows. Like they're placing his music and all these things, and you get paid really, really well. Uh, some of these placements will pay up to a hundred thousand dollars. Some of them pay more just for one placement in a in a film trailer or a movie or something like that. And so I think it's you know worth for artists to kind of think about alternative revenue streams uh, like sync licensing. So that's why um, actually Vo Williams, I have a Ari's Tech Academy. It's this, it's my online um, school. I started this school about a year and a half ago. I just brought Vo Williams in to be an instructor to teach our course hip hop in sync um, because we, uh, you know, how my school is structured is I don't get professors who are kind of, you know, in the game 30 years ago. I get people are in it now who are crushing the game right now to teach a course on what they're doing right now so vo he's probably i mean the most successful hip-hop artist in sync licensing right now we're talking above above kanye above 21 savage above anybody um because you know they're they're successful artists no doubt of course they're superstars but when it comes to sync licensing he's he knows how to create his music and also he has all the connections that he gets his music actually played. So he has cornered this one small side of the industry that's really interesting. You don't, you probably don't know his name, but it doesn't matter because you've definitely heard his music. If you've seen Empire, you've seen Atlanta, or you've seen uh, Euphoria, or any of the TV shows, or um, these film trailers that are coming out. A lot of the uh, like the superhero film trailers use his music. Video games use his music, and uh, and so that's like I think that's something that everybody can start thinking about is. Uh, what are other avenues to make revenue with your music and sync licensing, getting your songs placed in film, TV shows, video games is a way to do that. And that's why we started that Ari's Take Academy course. Yeah. I saw like uh, Facebook actually made a change, but it was, it was kind of sad to me. It's like, uh, now they have it where you were talking about the tip jars, but they have it now where yeah. you can just buy stars. So right. while you're talking right. to the celebrity and stuff, you can just send them stars. So mm-hmm. I already see what's happening. It's like, now the celebrity doesn't even talk to the person unless they send stars. 
I'm like, that's crazy. Right. It's like a pay to play thing. It's, yeah, it's interesting. I'm like, Everyone's I'm like, right. I'm like, this is crazy now. I'm like, man, yeah. this shit's getting this shit's getting worse and worse, man. Like, I don't think I mean I know I want artists to get paid and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. I don't think that should be like just to respond to somebody, you gotta they gotta pay you. Like, I think it's on, on different levels. And like, yeah, yeah, Facebook has stars and YouTube has uh super chat, which is the same yeah. kind of concept. Yeah. And, you know, there's other platforms like YouNow that has other and, and Periscope. They have tipping mechanisms, but it's a similar. They have their own currency like stars or coins. Some of them do stage it uses notes. So they all have their own like internal currency that you buy them and you can send somebody, you know, stars or notes or a gift or whatever it is. The spaceship you can send them that costs like a buck fifty or something. I think that actually helps the independent artists a bit more than like the celebrities don't need that. They don't need those, those tips or whatever. But like if an artist, you know, when I was running this music festival, um, they might, they only had maybe 20 people buy tickets to their show, but a few of those people were super fans. And I saw one person tip them a hundred dollars. And so, and somebody else tipped her $75. She walked away with making $500 on a 30 minute performance online to 20 people. And like that, is good for anybody, especially an independent artist who's like kind of, you know, just getting started and uh, was gigging on the road and made her money touring and now can't tour. So I think it, it, it can work for some artists at various levels, but yes, I think celebrities and bigger artists, they don't need to do that. They don't need to turn the stars on really. They can just, um, you know, interact and, and engage with their fans like they normally do. Yeah, and it was a chapter I really like. I saw it said uh, asking versus begging. Mm. So I saw you exactly. talk. I want you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure we've all heard about crowdfunding, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, Patreon is kind of the, the new crowdfunding, crowdfunding 2.0. I think when crowdfunding first came out, when Kickstarter first launched about a decade ago, um, a lot of people, it had a stigma that um, people kind of called it um, you know, begging and, or it's like, you know, when you ask somebody to, to fund your project, uh, the, the haters were out there saying, Oh, well, why are you begging for this? Whereas like (laughs) realized it's not begging. It's actually when artists, um, go to their fans and say, Hey, do you want to be a part of my next record, my new project, this, this new journey that I'm going on? Here's a way that you can be a part of it with me and support me on this. And it's almost like you're investing in my career, but we're working on this together. And fans actually are what we've seen, and this is now proven because the model's been around for 10 years, is fans want to support their favorite artists, especially if they're more independent artists and they're not at the superstar level. They want to support them. So if you, you need to give them a mechanism to support you. And this is uh, crowdfunding we've seen as a, as a great mechanism to enable fans to to pay you money and to support you and to help you create it the first kickstarter that i ran this was uh 2012 i believe um that was my first crowdfunding project i didn't know if i was going to raise any money i set up a campaign and in under 30 days i made almost fifteen thousand dollars from fans just like you know supporting the project saying yeah i want to see you make this record and that just like blew my mind. I'm like, wow, like my fans that I have right now. And I I had a a decent touring business. I was by no means a star. Uh, You know, I could draw decent numbers here and there and had decent traction online, but, but I was not uh, like, that was not very well known. 
and but my fans really wanted to support me and this was a mechanism that i learned by doing it this way would actually uh is a way that artists can can actually um get the revenue they need for their next project and so i think it's really important for artists to look at all the revenue generating possibilities out there and in ways to engage with your audience i think you know um with social media right now it's uh we're being hit from all angles and there's a big difference between followers and fans. Mm. Followers want to be entertained for free. Mm. Fans will support you financially. Now, which do you want to have is the question. I think we're too obsessed with getting followers who just want entertainment for free. But you really want the fans. You want the ones who are going to stick with you for life. And that's what I'm focusing on. And then, um, what do you mean by entertainment for free? Like. Uh, like on TikTok or on Instagram, or they'll follow you on Instagram or they'll follow you on TikTok and, and they, they get this entertainment by swiping through and they get a chuckle or they're laughing or they, you know, enjoy it. Or maybe they're just like, you know, listening to you on Spotify. Uh, those are followers. They'll give you a follow. They give you a follow on Instagram. They'll give you a like on Facebook. They'll follow you on Twitter. You know, they might get a, a follow you on TikTok, something like that. But they're not real fans. Real mm-hmm. fans will actually buy tickets to your shows. They're going to buy your merch. They're going to support your crowdfunding campaign. They're going to actually tip you and buy a ticket to your live stream concert if you if you do a live stream concert. These are the people that are actually, they love you and they're going to engage with you in a way where they're going to put their, their money where their fandom is. And it's not just giving you a follow on Instagram and saying, I'm a fan. That's not, that's not there's not much investment there. Anybody can follow anybody. What you really see when a fan invests in an artist and what true fandom is, is that they're willing to take their hard-earned money and devote a little bit of it to some of their favorite artists. Um, and some of them devote a bit um, more of it to their favorite artists. And those are true fans. So how do, if you're an artist, how do they get more fans? Like how do they get, instead of followers? <laughs> right. And it's, and it's um, you know, it starts, because I look at it as a pyramid. It's kind of an, an a pyramid of um, investment. And on um, the, uh, the bottom part of this pyramid where most of your, your fans and followers live, they all start there. They kind of start as followers. And the investment there, the monetary investment, very little. It's like a, uh, it's like a, a stream on, on Spotify. And sure, that mm-hmm. pays you a little bit, but they're not really paying you. They're paying Spotify, and then it goes through your right. algorithm, and then Spotify pays you. But then you move up a little bit. And you move up the pyramid. Now, there's a smaller block of the pyramid. It's a smaller group of people. And these are the people who will actually uh, buy a ticket to your show. Now, you kind of move up there. And then you move up the pyramid. And these are people who are going to buy merch at the show. And you move up the pyramid into a smaller group. And these are people who are going to support your crowdfunding campaign. And you get higher and higher to, like, the tip of the pyramid, which is, like, people who are part of your fan club who like a, a Patreon or something who will pay you every month. They'll subscribe to whatever you have doing. And they'll, they're your, what's called like the thousand true fans. These people will pay you uh, at least a hundred dollars a year. If you offer them ways for them to pay you. Now, how do you do that? Is your question. Um, it starts with um, it's respecting your audience and engaging with them um, as uh, it's kind of, it's providing the value. And so I think artists fall into this trap that it's all about me. It's all about me, the artist. And it's like, they love me as the artist where it's like, well, no, 
they're looking to you to bring value to their lives. So are you going to show up and bring value to their lives? That's what they're looking for. They don't care about you. <laughs> like they're like you, you need as an artist, you should be looking to what value are you going to provide to them? You have to show up for, for your fans. Um, and it's like, yes, the value, of course, it starts with the music and the music brings them value. But also it's, uh, when you're at a kind of a, a small level, um, and maybe you just have a few hundred or a few thousand fans, um, or even followers, uh, if they send you a message on Instagram, they send you a DM respond. If they say, Hey, I love your music respond. Say, thank you. That doesn't take that much. It, it's actually pretty easy to just respond and say, thank you. That's really awesome. Thank you. Or if they comment on your Instagram, wow, this was an incredible song or incredible video. I really love this like that or respond. Thank you. That is so meaningful to them. And, and I don't think artists realize how meaningful it is to just get a response. Now, of course, when you get to a certain level and your inbox is flooded, you can't respond to everybody. That, but people don't expect that. But if you only have a few thousand followers on Instagram and you're, you're getting you know some messages, like respond to them. Now, I, I interviewed um, this hip-hop artist, Lucidius. Uh, he has over a half a million monthly listeners on Spotify. He's got over 100 million streams. Uh, he's got... 200,000 followers on Instagram and no label, no playlists, anything totally independent. And I asked him like, how did you do this? How are you, how did you make this work? And, um, he's like, anyone who sent me a message on Instagram, I responded to them. Mm-hmm. And we started to kind of build this bond. And it started when I only had a few hundred followers and then it kind of grew and grew and word spread. And, uh, and, you know, of course he, he used other tactics to kind of get his message out there. So like he was using Facebook and Instagram advertising, um, to kind of put his videos in front of people. And then they would come into his world. They would come to his Instagram and be like, Oh, this is interesting. They listen to his music. They love his music. They send him a message. Now it goes two ways when a fan, or let's start with a follower. When a follower sends an artist a message, it's either they send the message and if they don't get a response, they're going to kind of move on. Maybe they'll listen to the song a little bit more, but they don't, probably expect to get a response. Now, if the artist does respond, that follower is now engaged. They move up a level of engagement on that pyramid because they now feel connected to the artist. They know the artist can't respond to everybody. And so now they feel this connection. And that's how you develop that. And you develop this respectful engagement with your audience. So, so what else are you working on? I know you named a lot of stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah, I do a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, I, well, actually, I'm, uh, you know, I've been doing this Brassroots District funk band for the last uh, few years. I'm just about to jump in the studio. Um, when by jump in the studio, I don't mean physically because my producer is, you know, we're going to be doing these kind of sessions with my producer uh, and my band members. But uh, I'm going to do another solo album. So I'm working on a kind of a solo Ari Herstand album, uh, which I haven't released music under my own name for many years. And I've been releasing music on a grassroots district and, and playing on other people's records and doing some co-writing and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to kind of start working on this new album and hopefully the quarantine will be lifted so I can get together. I love creating music with other musicians in the room. Uh, some of my favorite things to do is just to kind of set up with a bunch of musicians in the room and, and work out the song together. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to do that. If not, we might have to do it like this over zoom. Um, I'm working on that. 
the podcast. We're releasing new episodes every week on the New Music Business Podcast. Um, and then, yeah, we just launched that course, the Hip Hop and Sing course with Bo Williams for Ari's Take Academy. So I'm, I'm definitely keeping busy. All right. What would you like to say to your fans and supporters? Um, you know, I, I, uh, I appreciate that, um, everyone has kind of stuck with me on this, this journey as I've, uh, weaved my way, uh, through, through just kind of various avenues, uh, of inspiration. And I kind of follow the muse. I follow the inspiration and, and I also see where I'm needed. Um, you know, if there is a, if there are people out there that are struggling or that are in need or need some information or help or assistance. If I think that I can be of service, um, I tend to uh, step into that and step into that position. Um, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm in such a unique position as an artist, but also as a journalist and an author and kind of this person that's, that's in an interesting position in the music business where I, I understand the industry and, and have a lot of connections that if, I can be of service as an artist because I have that artist empathy. I feel like an artist and I know what artists are going through, but I also understand the industry that I will kind of insert myself uh, into those places where I can be of service. So I, you know, I definitely um, appreciate that people have kind of stuck with me and, and as I've kind of weaved my way all over the place and away in and out of the music, releasing music and then releasing books and just kind of going all over the place. But uh, anyone who's kind of stuck with me through this journey, that's awesome. And I appreciate them. So, and I, I saved this question for the end of all my guests. Uh, what does it take to succeed in the new business? Yeah. I'm messing question. with you. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, damn, like shit. Nah, I'm messing with you. <laughs> like, read my book. <laughs> but no, nah, I would say, I wonder what you, anybody, because you said you asked your guests that question. So what, what would yeah. you say? Yeah. Um, I, I think number one, set some goals and, uh, and really look at, set up goals for yourself, find ways that you're going to achieve those goals and, and really, uh, remember that success is extremely personal and, um, always seek happiness in, in your career and in your life. Yeah. I mean, say this is, uh, is this your passion? Seems like it's your passion. Seems like you really like it. Definitely. Yeah. But it, uh, was it always your passion or you think it became your passion? Uh, the music business, I kind of, you know, I, I always took to it early on. I was in my high school band uh, in the band I was in in high school. I was the guy who was printing out flyers and handing them out and, and putting up posters around the school and around right. town and, you know, trying to, you know, booking the shows at the Battle of the Bands and the local teen centers and stuff like that. So I, I think that's always been my role. Um, and I've always kind of uh, taken a liking to that. So it, uh, yeah, I would say it's definitely a passion of mine. Um, I have a lot of passions, <laughs> obviously, but uh, but yeah, I, I'm very fortunate that I'm able to do what I what I love to do. What else you like to do? What's that? What else do what you else? like to do? Yeah, I mean, a lot of fortunately, a lot of my passions I've kind of turned into part of my career. Um, you know, I. Um, I'm interested in, in, uh, in politics and not for me personally, but I kind of keep up with it. And, uh, recently there was a, there was a, a bill, um, in California that was passed that kind of hurt musicians. And so I kind of jumped into that 
And I, uh, it was, the bill was called AB5 and it was this gig workers law and it was really going to hurt musicians and hurt the music industry. So I lobbied, I started kind of talking to legislators and uh, writing articles and going on news programs and, and talking about how this bill uh, that they just passed, this law that was actually um, happening was hurting the music industry. And so, you know, that became a passion of mine, which I never thought I was going to insert myself into that area. But I was very passionate about, I'm always, I'm passionate about helping other artists and music uh, industry professionals and anyone who um, is maybe less fortunate or doesn't have the connections or doesn't have the resources. Uh, that's definitely a passion of mine is to kind of support and help out people where they're needed. And so I was very fortunate that I was able to um, actually work with these legislators and, and kind of amend this law and get this law changed for, for uh, the music industry. And that was, uh, you know, something that took a lot of work, but I was, uh, yeah, definitely passionate about that and very fortunate I was able to do that. All right, man, I want to say thanks for coming through politicking with me. Yeah, man. Good to talk to you. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, no doubt. Anything you want to leave listeners with? Uh, stay inspired. I know it's a scary time right now in quarantine, but uh, just uh, stay inspired and do do something different every day. The Poe Politicking Show is brought to you by Audible. With over 180,000 titles to choose from, Audible is great for any continuous learner wanting to grow and expand their knowledge and insight. Go to www.audibletrial.com slash audio and get an audiobook of your choice free with a 30-day trial. After the trial, your paid membership will begin at $14.95 per month. With your membership, you will receive one credit every month, good for an audiobook on Audible. Cancel before your trial ends and you will not be charged. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash P-O-Audio and download a free book by Tony Robbins, Grant Cardone, Napoleon Hill, Les Brown, Damon John, and more. Always remember that knowledge is power.